Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. Hey everybody, Brian Sexton. You know what's really important to me when I do business with a company is trust and transparency. I've been telling you now for a good while about my buddy Damon Burton and his company, SEO National, because trust and transparency are just as important to them. You know, for the last 15 years in the search engine optimization space, they have been leading the way and serving people tremendously well. Now, for those of you that don't know what SEO is, it stands for search engine optimization. It helps you show up higher on Google searches so that folks that are looking for what you have find you quicker. And you know what's really encouraging? More revenue, more sales, growing your business. Do me a favor, get in touch with Damon and his team today at SEO National at 855-736-6285 or go to seonational.com and get your free quote and tell him you heard it on the Intentional Encourager podcast. I hope you're ready because here comes a dynamite conversation on the Intentional Encourager podcast. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. Hey, listen, you can podcast literally anywhere you are. I am in a hotel room podcasting. I don't have anything this nice in my podcast studio. You guys that watch the Intentional Encourager podcast YouTube channel where you're going to watch this, you know it's the virtual background. But apparently there's some nice art behind me. I will not be taking it with me. I will be leaving it in the room. But it's not about the art or anything on this this podcast edition. This episode of the Intentional Encourager podcast is about talking to a writer, a blogger, and the author of a book, A Perfect Storm, Devotions During a Crisis. And that is my guest, Sarah Nelson, who joins me on the Intentional Encourage podcast. Sarah, how are you? I'm great, Brian. Thanks so much for having me. And I did notice that your your sweater matches the scenery and the art in the background. Well, that was not intentional. It was just what I threw in the bag to, to wear to work <laughs> today as I was working and traveling. But that is so kind. Thank you so much for, for no, no, this is a nice hotel. I mean, this is not, you know, this is... This is a, it's comfortable, but you know, again, it's home for tonight and it'll, you know, but again, I so appreciate you joining me and I want to start here. You live in Texas. I live in West Virginia, two totally different perspectives of the last couple of years around what we've been dealing with, with the pandemic and you know, how life has been different. You know, we live in a state of 1.8 million people. You live in an area of probably more people than that. So, you know, you live in an area as big as my whole state. Take me through the last couple of years for you and your family around the pandemic. Some things maybe you've learned that once we get through this, and I believe we will get through this, some things that you have learned either professionally, personally, that you will carry with you after this is over. Well, that's a great question because we just finished quarantine uh, because my son came down with COVID and we've, we've had it before. We've quarantined before we've been vaccinated. We've gone through the process. It's been such an up and down time this last couple of years where every time you get your footing and get back to what we consider 
might be something normal, then it's all thrown off again. And one of the things that I've really come to understand is I've been, uh, you know, at work or in ministry or when I've been talking to people is that regardless of our location, we've all experienced this together. And there is something that we all understand. It's like we've walked through this crisis together. And on some pe- for some people, it's completely different on one end of the spectrum than the yeah, other. Yeah. But regardless of where you are on the spectrum, everybody understands that they were impacted. And we will always remember how we were impacted together. I think that is so good. Everybody understands, and I'm just jotting this down. Everybody understands the impact of this pandemic. And and, and I've tried to, you know, Sarah, I've, I've tried to, you know, go a different direction with an opening question. But again, the longer this goes on, I want to gain perspective of what people have gone through and how they've they've kept themselves. And, and like I mentioned a moment ago, my state, West Virginia is one of the smallest states. You know, our cities are not behemoths. I think our biggest city is like 55,000 people, mm. you know. And so, you know, we, you know, we kind of perfected social distancing, right? You know, we're kind of we're kind of spread <laughs> out a little bit, which is cool. You know, we'll, we'll take that. But I got to imagine where you are. It, it's a busy place. Mm-hmm. It's a social place. It's a... You know, you guys get a lot of tourists down there. You guys have a lot of people that come through that area. You know, when you think about how those things, because you, you talk about experiencing the, the impact of COVID, everybody felt it. What did you feel around your community and your circle of friends, your network of people that you surround yourself with on a daily basis? How do you feel like they were keeping themselves encouraged through this whole thing? Wow, that's a great question. Coming together when we could and doing so in a respectful way. When we were really completely quarantined, it's staying in touch with each other, whether that's a text, it's calling them on the phone, having conversations like we used to on the phone with people because we can't see them face to face, or we might see them tomorrow and then we just text them and we can finish up the conversation the next day. We had to kind of sit back and take the initiative to reach out to people and really connect on an organic level and make make it a point during your day when we were isolated from one another. Sarah, I love that. Let me jump in here real quick. You made such a really good point there. And that is kind of returning to what we used to do, how we used to connect with people. And, and I say that because... And full disclosure, I'll be 50 in August. You know, I can, you know, my dad had a phrase like, I'm going to pick up the phone and call somebody, right? And now we've got this wonderful technology like Zoom with FaceTime on our phones. And, you know, I, I can look at people and talk to them on my phone. But I love what you said there about the power of just picking up the phone and just calling and talking to someone like we used to, you know, remember the phone on the wall, you know, I, I'm old enough to remember a rotary dial phone, you know, where you had to actually, 
you know, and, and then your, your parents went and bought the long, um, cord that you plugged into the wall. So now instead of going like 20 feet, you could take the phone like 50 feet. You could take it from room to room and, Yes, you know. that was at my grandmother's house, and it used to oh, yeah. drive my dad crazy because the cord would be so stretched out, and then it would <laughs> knot into this ball, and it would be in this tangled mess. And yeah. so we would go to my grandmother's house, and my dad would take time to like unravel this fifty feet, you know, foot cord. Yeah, because uh, grandmother always got to, it. Yeah, because because yeah, explain yeah. it to my kids, and they just they don't even have a sense of it. We lived next door to my wife's grandparents. We, we lived next door to, to the house that they lived in for 70 years. And, you know, my wife's granddad um, passed away in 2020. He was 98. And, and they, had, um, they had downstairs in their basement, they, had a, they still had a rotary dial telephone hanging on the wall. And they had a little chalkboard with you know, our number and, you know, different phone numbers and things like that, but they never kind of got away from it. When you think about the lesson of, of just simplifying communication, you know, because again, you know, it, it, it's all about just reaching out and connecting with someone, hearing a voice, things mm -hmm. like that. Was there something that you took away? Because you mentioned taking the time and the initiative to reach out. Was there a moment that that kind of hit you in the face and you went, wow, that was, I knew I was supposed to do that. Because I know for me, I'll feel prompted. Something will spurt like, I need to call this person. I need to reach out. And I'll call them sometimes and they'll go, man, I'm so glad you called. You know, I'm glad you were thinking about me, things like that. Did you, did you have those kind of moments through the, through the last couple of years where, where that happened to you? And it was kind of a V8 moment for you. Like, wow, this, this was what I was supposed to do today. Yes. In fact, it happened to me yesterday with a good friend of mine. I hadn't talked to her in a while. Um, they had had complications with a loved one because of COVID and, you know, we've kind of had this new wave of Omicron. So some schools have had to shut down some of the smaller private schools where my kids go to a really large public high school. And so a fourth of the kids are quarantined because this, there's this ebb and flow. And See, there was a nasty rumor that Omicron was afraid of Texans. <laughs> you know, don't mess with Texas. You know, the buyer, you know, don't mess with Texas. That's the, you know, that's the the ongoing thing there but what uh, we're all doing is we're all getting it so we can kick it to the curb and be done with it i love that it what's, that's i what's love it just give there. it a little vigilante justice a little, yeah. little texas style just i love yes. it i love yes. it sarah and and i don't say that in a i don't want to take absolutely you know, not we we kid because you know as the old saying can, goes we kid because we care right exactly and i know there are so many people that have lost loved ones but on the other and we don't take that away at all because it's been very serious for so many people but at the same time you know, when you get through crisis and a pandemic, I mean, you've got to use humor like that at some point just to get through this weird time. But I did. I saw a friend in the grocery store and I told my husband, Mark, I was like, I haven't talked to this friend in it's been weeks since before Christmas. Yeah. And he's like, I really need to call her. And I saw her in the grocery store. She was telling me, oh, my goodness. I said, I, I meant to call you this week. How are you doing? And they haven't been doing well. 
and they've been isolated and quarantined and the kids couldn't go back to school. And it's just this weird time where she was needing that connection. She was needing a friend to reach out to her. And it just reminded me, okay, when someone comes to mind like that, it is always for a reason. And that does happen on a regular basis. Uh, but yesterday in the grocery store, unfortunately, we were able to go to the grocery store. Um, a lot of people still don't feel like they can get out and go about doing those things. Unless you're in West Virginia and, and the weather forecaster predicts snow, <laughs> then people find ways to get to the grocery store. Like, like they, you know, a friend of mine texted me today and he's like, you cannot believe this. And, and I'm like, I, yes, I can, you know, because in, in, in where I live in West Virginia, Sarah, if you say we might get one to three inches of snow, people just fly. They don't care if Omicron was standing at the front door spraying them. <laughs> they would be they would be headed out to the grocery store but you said something a minute ago that I, I think is really profound and that is yes we do not want to diminish what this dreaded awful terrible virus has done to people but i kind of i believe this way i believe those people that we've lost would say to us kick this thing to the curb just because it got me doesn't mean that you guys can't go on and do what you're supposed to do. You know, and I think about in the Bible where, and, and you and I both are Christians and, and I, and people that listen to this podcast know that I'm a Christian. Mm -hmm. And so it reminds me of enduring. The Bible says he that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. Just because we have loved ones that don't make it to the end. So in other words, they don't make, you know, we haven't been raptured yet. So just because they don't make it to the end doesn't mean they're not on the sidelines cheering you on saying, I, I didn't make it. I, got, I went on to my reward, but that doesn't mean you guys can't make it. And so, yeah, we, you know. I feel like that 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 there is a great the Bible also talks about a great crowd of witnesses or the cloud of witnesses that you know steer us on and cheer us on. I want to pivot real quick here in that vein of conversation. And that is and that is this. What keeps you encouraged on a daily basis? around you know you, you mentioned you guys have had the second bout of covid and, and things like that and and there have been a lot of households that have been hit multiple times like you have so what keeps you encouraged and what encouragement do you share with your family encouragement as in getting past covid or yeah it didn't or yeah encouragement as as in getting past because again i think here's a reason i asked that I think we're, we're just all staring in the face because, because where I am, where I am in Northern Virginia is you see signs everywhere. Like I went into a, to a restaurant today to get something to eat. I went into a Jersey Mike's to, by the way, Jersey Mike's, if you want to sponsor the intentional encourager podcast, that'd be good. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I went into a Jersey Mike's to get something to eat real quick. And it said, you must have a mask to enter. 
and I'm trying, I'm not making this political, but what I'm saying is we're just constantly bombarded with the images and this and that and the other things. I know what I do to keep myself encouraged. What do you do to keep yourself encouraged and keep your family encouraged? On a practical level, we try to live life as normal as we can and, and keep putting one step in front of the other. On a spiritual level, it's knowing that the scripture says that there is hope for the future. So when you tie those things together, we as people have a choice. We can let the situation overcome us or we can choose to move forward. And we just try to engage in community when we have the opportunity and to do the things that we can that are normal and do it as much as we can. So good. I, I love that. Let's step aside, take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about your book, A Perfect Storm, Devotions During a Crisis. Listen, if there is any time that, that our country and our world is in crisis mode, we're, we're still in that time. So what a perfect transition to make to talk about Sarah's book. My guest, writer, blogger, and the author of the book, of the book A Perfect Storm, Devotions During a Crisis, Sarah Nelson, our guest here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Hey, you come back in just a moment. Hey, everybody, Brian Sexton here. The new year is upon us, and you may be sitting there thinking, hey, I would really love to pay off some debt, or I would like to save for that dream vacation. Maybe you want to buy a new car, whatever it is you want to do financially in the coming year. Let me give you a great piece of intentional encouragement and something to think about that might help you do it. Products for Profit. Now, this is a course taught by my good friend, Joe Hart, who's been a guest on the Intentional Encourager podcast and has told his story how reselling changed his life. And you know what, folks? It could do the same thing for you too. It's really simple. Reselling is basically buying a product and then reselling it online for more money. And Joe is going to take you through the steps and show you how to do this either part-time or maybe as some of his students have done, take this full-time as well. Go to coachjoe89.gumroad.com backslash L backslash premium PFP. And oh, by the way, this group is going to help you find leads of products that are profitable right now, give you all kinds of great intentional encouragement, and you're going to be surrounded by a community of people that are going to want to see you be successful in the reselling game. Again, go to coachjoe89.gumroad.com backslash L backslash premium PFP and tell him you heard about it on the Intentional Encourager podcast. And now let's get back to more great conversation here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Sarah, let's talk about your book. I mentioned it before the break. A Perfect Storm, Devotions During a Crisis. For a lot of people, and I was having a conversation on social media with somebody today. I wrote a book in 2020 that honored my dad. I told this person, it was hard, this person's thinking about doing a book. And I told him, I said, it's the hardest thing I've ever done. It was so hard. It was so hard. In fact, I've got a friend of mine, he's written two books and he's been a guest on this podcast. And I said, Jason, what about a third book? He's like, Brian, no chance, no chance. So for you, 
Where was the idea of the? Let me go. Forgive me. I want to ask a different question because I feel like I'm asking a question you've been asked. I want to ask you this. I don't want to know where the book was born. Where was the book? Where was that part of your life where you were like, yeah, the book, you know, got the idea and things like that. But what was that moment like when you were diving head in like, okay, I'm, I'm into this thing. I'm all in because a lot of us have ideas. A lot of people have ideas and they go, well, I don't know if I'm going to do it yet or things like that. Um, and it took me like three and a half years to write my book. But for you, what was that moment like? I'm all in on doing this book. So the process for me took seven years from the moment I experienced this personal crisis, which is the backdrop of this devotional to the, to the time where it was actually published seven years. And so it was a process, but it wasn't until about a year after I had gone through this crisis with our family and my daughter, and I was sitting with my husband on Valentine's day in this little Italian restaurant on Austin Avenue in the middle of Waco, Texas. And I just told him, I said, I feel compelled that I'm supposed to write this story. I had been chewing on it. I had been praying about it. I had been thinking about it nonstop. And it's really the craziest thing. It's really made me feel like a nut job, to be honest with you, because it is the hardest thing I've ever done. But I had been praying for confirmation that this is what I was supposed to do because I didn't want to just write about a story in vain. I knew I was supposed to do it with a purpose and I've never aspired to be an author. This is not an ambition of mine. I've had plenty of ambitions, but this has not been one of them. And I will tell you, I asked and prayed for confirmation and went and sat down and talked to my husband, poured everything out to him and said, I think I'm supposed to be doing this. And he looked at me and said, oh yeah, that's easy. And I think it sounds like it needs to be in the form of a devotional. And I thought, no, wait a second. You were like, I never aspired to be an author. No, you run this by your husband. He goes, that sounds easy. Yeah. He thought yeah, it was, he, was he, answer. yeah, he wasn't doing, I mean, cause, cause I know my wife was like, what are you doing now? It's like, mm -hmm. I'm working on this book and my wife, I love my wife dearly. My wife had 25 years, but there were times I'd talk about the book and my wife would eye roll. Like, you're really going to go through with this? Like, mm -hmm. you're really going to write a book? Yeah, I'm really going to write a book. I, I got to I gotta ask you this. I got to ask you this. You mentioned your husband, your husband Mark, and his, his perspective. What perspective did you gain from Mark during this process that helped you in the book? Because I know when my when the when when I my wife was kind of reading through it, my wife was like, "You might want to change this story, or it's a little too personal." Like I would, I would talk about her dad or something like that. She's like, "I don't know that I really want my my dad in this, or I this may be a little too personal. Like I don't want you sharing that much detail." Were there times that you and your husband had that kind of back and forth together about? what was going to go in the book or did you, did he just say, Hey, go forth and do just, just go write this thing and I'll be supporting you in the background. He went, he just said, go forth and do and made it as simple as possible and really stayed out of the process and really just acted more as an encourager to me because in his mind, when I poured it out to him and I said, 
this is what I think. I had been toiling about this. I had been chewing on it and thinking about it because I didn't really have a lot of time. I had a business at the time. I had three little kids at the time. So he kept it really simple and just said, if you feel like you're supposed to do it, do it. And oh, by the way, it sounds like it should be in this format. And I thought he has no idea that that's how I was feeling led. Well, Sarah, you mentioned something and, and forgive me for jumping in, but you said something there that is so interesting. You use the word toiling. And, and, I, and I think people that, that, I know people that have written books will probably feel that way. Um, and and I've, I've not heard that used in the process. But when you said that, I'm like, that is so true. There are times you feel like you're really laboring through that process. Like, oh my gosh, my eyes are going to bleed. And, you know, I'm not, and that's what I said to my friend. I said, I'm not, I, there were days that, that I was writing. I didn't feel it. Like I, I would rather be doing something else. Did you ever have those days like, like, Lord, why have you put this in my spirit? Because it's so hard to get out of my spirit onto paper where it makes sense. Did you ever have those days and how'd you get Absolutely, through? because it took such a process from the time that Mark spoke confirmation, it was still several years before I was able to get everything in the format that I needed to write because I was still walking through the effects of a crisis. And it took me a while and I actually had to think about giving up a business because what I felt led to do was just begin to write. So I felt like I was blindfolded, shooting a bow and arrow, and the Lord was prompting me to do something, yet I was shooting at a bow and arrow. I had no target. I had no platform. And as I took one step in front of the other, I saw things come into fruition where I began putting it out on blog form. Three months later, I was asked to become a contributing writer for at Waco Moms, which is an online parenting resource. And it was really interesting because it used different areas of my background and including this testimony and devotional as a platform. From there, I began to see this platform build. And as I took each step, yeah. he then provided a place to land. It's almost like he was asking me to walk up a staircase, but you couldn't see the staircase. So every time I took a step, I would, you know, bring my foot up and go to put my foot down and hit provide that place to land. So it was a process of putting this together and watching it come to life and to make sense and developing the platform along the way. I want to know something. If you could go back in time, and you now, the book's done, everything's done. If you could sit, and I don't know if you sat in the spot that you're in now to write a lot of the book. But if you could go back and you could walk into the room as you were starting to write this book or maybe halfway through that process. And you could put your arm around yourself. What piece of advice or encouragement would you have given yourself through that process? I would say you are not going crazy. There is a plan and a purpose for this. This is an act of- I'm naturally crazy. So, I mean, it, you know, for me, that would have been like, like, really, that's the best you've got? <laughs> 
Well, it's just constant, like, okay, I'm feeling this. I'm feeling this prompting. I think I'm supposed to do this. I know, no, not I don't think I'm supposed to do it. I know I'm supposed to do it. And I never wanted to be a writer. I mean, I've always loved writing. It's been something I've done um, musically as I help lead worship and have done that my whole life. And and I've done writing in that aspect, but I never aspired to do it. And so it was almost as if the Lord said, okay, you need to lay a few things down to pursue this as a ministry. Wow. That's a hard thing too, isn't it? Because you you, you say, okay, um, and, 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 and I'm glad you said that because I can remember when my son was my, my now 21, almost 22 year old college junior son would say to us, well, I want to go do this, or I'm going to do that. I got invited to this and that. And I would tell him, I'm like, son, we can't do everything. And part of that was like, I do not want to go do that and take him to that. And he was 11, 12, 13, 14 years old before, before he could drive. And you hit on such a really good point, Sarah, is that sometimes to get done what we need to get done, we have to lay some things down and it's like, okay, so what am I going to drop? So what am I going to give up? And, and you feel the Lord saying, well, what about giving up this? Well, wait a minute, Lord, I don't really want to give that up. Or you feel the Lord saying, okay, but what about this? Oh, you know, Lord, I, People are dependent on me or this or that. So I love what you said there about pairing things off to reach the ultimate thing. Did you ever have that moment maybe in prayer with the Lord? Like, okay, we got to have a talk here because you're asking me to do some things that are really stretching me. I'm stressed and I don't know what to do. I feel like there was those moments there for you. What were those times like when you were at, when you felt in your spirit, like you really had to climb that next big mountain and it was like, okay, how am I going to do this? Is that, I, I hope I asked that question the right way. You did. And I think of two big moments. Um, like I said, I had a, a business that I really enjoyed, but because we had gone through this crisis and I was having to really take a lot of time dealing with the aftermath. Um, with one of my kids, really with our whole family, I had very little time uh, to devote to the business that I had at the time. And we had business partners who were good friends of ours. And and I kept praying, Lord, I don't want to give this up. I really like it, but I really feel like you're calling me to this other area. And there were some other business decisions along with that because we couldn't give the time and attention to it that we needed. So it was also a good business decision at the time uh, to let it go. And so we had been talking about it and I had really been praying about it. And so one day I was driving home and I was really feeling impressed. And this is before I put anything in book format. I had already had the confirmation from my husband of what the format would be, but I was still kind of toiling in and really getting to the place where I had time to devote to it. Uh, again, because I had three small children, we're dealing yeah. with the aftermath and I needed to know, like, what am I supposed to do here? Because I can't do it all right now. And I can't do it all well. And I was, I can even tell you where I was in my car. I was pulling into our subdivision. It was 12 o'clock on a Friday. And I said out loud, Lord, 
I need an answer. If I'm supposed to sell this business, I need you to make it very known because this is something that I really like. I have plans for, but it doesn't seem like the time in life to do it. And I just need a confirmation that is something that I can identify. And so I, I got home, we went through our weekend and Sunday afternoon rolls around. I was standing in the kitchen. My husband was watching a ball game. This is after church. We're in the, you know, living room. And he said, oh, by the way, um, I had lunch with our business partner on Friday, which would have been the same time I prayed that prayer. And he goes, hey, yeah, we talked about kind of selling the business. What do you think? Let's talk about it. So three days had gone by. I had prayed for a confirmation. Wow. And my husband forgot to tell me, oh, by the way, we talked about this on Friday. What do you think? I think the Lord just answered prayer. That's what I think. <laughs> yes. That's exactly right. The yeah. second situation. And so we did. I was like, it's time to let it go uh, because I do feel like the Lord works in those circumstances to lead us and guide us to help those us make those decisions. And there is not a confirmation that is any more clearer than that, other than, you know, a crazy manifestation of the Holy Spirit, which I still believe that is. But the second one, and I haven't really told this story publicly, so I'm really, really glad you asked. Because as I did this, you know, when God has called you to do something, when you start experiencing fear in a way you have never experienced before. Yeah, that's a great point. And I'm telling you what, I'm not a fearful person. When I feel like God has called me to do something, I'm like, okay, you know, here's my 10 point plan, you know, and, and, uh, I, and I'm fine to do it. I, I've never been a fearful person. I face so much fear of criticism of what other people might think. And it was to a point where it was like crippling my spirit. Yeah. And I was yeah. really, really working through it. I mean, I could feel it in my fingertips. And I knew, I knew that that was not from God. And I knew it was Satan trying to thwart what the Lord was trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. He knew, so, yeah. He, he knew what God was was working in your life. You know, the funny thing is you mentioned your husband was, was watching a ball game. What would have been funny is he would have come to you and said, honey, as Tony Romo was just describing that play, watching the Cowboys, I, I got it. The, the revelation, you know, that because there's a lot of times where I tell my wife and, and I love NFL football myself. I'm a sports fan. I'll tell my wife, she's like, well, well, what do you want to do after church? I'm like, I don't care what you guys do. As long as I can be in front of a TV or I can watch it on my phone, I don't care what you guys do, you know, but having that moment that had to feel like for you, like you just wanted to rejoice. Like you just wanted to, to just, cause I can imagine I'm trying to put myself in that moment. You pull in your driveway, you cry out to God. And, and what, what I was, what I was thinking about, what was going through my mind as you were telling that story, it's almost like we have those moments and we've all had those moments in life where we just go, okay, Lord, I give up. I cannot do this. And then three days later, it's Sunday and, and your husband just goes, Hey, you know what? Oh, by the way, I had lunch with somebody and, and it's that moment where you're like, Lord, I can't believe you just did this. You talk about the fear. I got I to go here just for a quick second, then I want to pivot to your story when we come back from break.
Mm-hmm. I've got to go here for a minute. When your husband said that, how quickly did that excitement that you felt for God answering that prayer, how quickly did that fear set in? Was it, was it almost instantaneously or did it manifest over a day, a week, a month? Because sometimes when God answers a prayer like that, the Bible says when this, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord raises up a standard against him. And there are times when you get that excitement that, that God has answered a prayer and, and, and there's that flood moment from the enemy. And so I, I just want to, ma- I want to kind of get my, not get my arms around that, but how long was that for you from that, that jubilation moment of God, you answered the prayer. I cried out to you and you answered how long of a moment was that from 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 faith to fear? I guess is the best way to put that. I had already began to experience some of the fear, but it really didn't set in until after we took steps forward to sell the business. Because the fear was also about coming from a place of vulnerability because it was a personal story and it has to do with uh, children and I and I had this vision that the Lord was going to ask me to speak in front of women and moms and I had a fear because my child lived and I knew I was going to be speaking to some women whose children had not been able to survive a crisis and so there were just so many forms that had already taken shape and then it hit me really really hard after the fact. And I then had a manifestation of that. So when he answers the prayer, there is a relief of, okay, I at least know what to do. I wasn't excited about letting it go because it was something that I really liked. But I knew that in the moment of clarity, my next step uh, in obedience, I knew what that was supposed to look like. And that's a natural thing, Sarah, because for, for us... You know, we, we had a similar situation where my wife lost her dad to cancer. And I had an uncle that we went to church with my aunt and uncle. And my uncle gets up on a Sunday night and testifies. He's like, I thought I had cancer, but God healed it. And I can remember my wife just getting, my wife just was ashen faced. She got up out of the pew and she just kind of quickly went outside. Mm-hmm. And I I was like, what's wrong? What's wrong? And she said, why didn't God heal my dad? That's right. Why didn't God healed your uncle? I'm thankful. And she looked at me and she said, I'm thankful that God healed your uncle. Mm -hmm. Why didn't he heal my dad? And so I, I understand very well in that moment, because again, you have a fear of thank you, Lord, for what you did for my family. But you're also talking to people that said, but I didn't get that miracle. God didn't move for me in that way. I, this is a great point for us to step aside and take a break because I want to tell that story about the crisis that you survived with your family. And listen, this this conversation, folks, I want to tell you something. I don't care if you're a Christian or not. How could you not be encouraged? How could you not be encouraged by what you're hearing today? 
and I'm so grateful that Sarah Nelson has joined us. She's the author of the book, A Perfect Storm, Devotions During a Crisis. And she's going to tell that story of the crisis that her and her family went through. You come back, you're going to want to stay for this. My guest, Sarah Nelson, on the Intentional Encourager podcast, back in a moment. Hey everybody, Brian Sexton. I want to take a moment and tell you about my friend Harry Spate and his new book, Selling with Dignity. Harry has taken an age-old concept of sales and he's put a new twist to it and I love the direction that he's taken with Selling with Dignity. And here's what's encouraging about Harry's book. Instead of viewing people as numbers and machines, salespeople are now given the tools and the encouragement to be dignified in their approach. Here's what Harry says. He says, selling is an honorable profession when it's done right. When sellers feel they're valuable and have integrity and respect. This opens the door for better conversations and eventually relationship. This book puts an end to sleazy sales tactics and proves why selling with dignity can be done and it leads to massive success. And I couldn't agree more. Go to sellingwithdignity.com, get your copy today. And if you want Harry to sign it, he'll do that for you. Again, go to sellingwithdignity.com and pick up your copy today of the new book by Harry Spate, Selling with Dignity. And now let's get back to more great conversation here on the Intentional encourager podcast sarah let's let's dive into your story and, and again I, I i i got kind of away let my time get away from me but i've got to to i've got to hear your story i really want to hear it i'm going to try to step back and i hopefully will not jump in a whole lot but Please, if you would, share your story with this audience. Thank you. In 2014, we were on our first family of five ski trip. Our kids were two, five, and seven. And out of the blue, with no pre-existing conditions, our two-year-old suffered a stroke. And it was pretty traumatic. She lost her ability to talk, to walk, and move, and be. A, she was pretty much paralyzed on the on the right side of her body. So from there... Uh, she was in the hospital for a couple of weeks. We were in uh, Park City, Utah. So we were a thousand miles away from home. After that, she was then admitted into a rehabilitation facility. And so our family was just kind of hit and blindsided by this traumatic event where the rug of normality was pulled out from underneath us. And we didn't know what our life was going to look like moving forward. We didn't know if she would walk or talk. We didn't know if uh, we would be taking care of her the rest of her life. Her recovery was not guaranteed. Um, and so what they say is with the two-year-old child, they have a better opportunity to recover. But as with any stroke, we learn that all strokes are different and they just can never guarantee what that's going to look like. And so that's why this book is called A Perfect Storm is because when they went to try to find the cause of this stroke, there wasn't a reason, which is supposed to be good news. And it was good news because it didn't, it meant that there, it wasn't from a major organ or blood disease. There wasn't a condition that she had, but there were all these different components that have could have come together at just the right time, at just the right place to cause a perfect storm. So there was nothing the genetically that, so there was nothing genetically that they could pinpoint it to. There was nothing from a hereditary standpoint that they said, oh, this, this has shown up and the stroke, uh, 
caused this to show up. There was nothing there. I mean, it was literally, and again, forgive me for trying to, I, I just want to, this is where my mind's going. It almost feels like what you're describing is a light switch moment where one minute everything was good. The next minute it's like flipping a light switch and your world's turned upside down. Was that kind of how it was? Absolutely. Like I said, the rug of normality was completely pulled out from underneath us. And so it was like turning off a light switch. I'm like, how can my healthy, talkative two-year-old child with no pre-existing conditions, I can't even tell you how many people in the medical community contacted me or said to me in person, I didn't know a child could have a stroke like that because they rarely hear of children with no pre-existing conditions suffering from that. Um, the only thing that they found, and you know, I don't want to take too much time to get into this because it wasn't the cause, was uh, she has a high lipoprotein A, which is the measurement of how our blood coagulates. But that's, if all the components come together, it's not unusual and it is hereditary, but I've never had a stroke and I have yeah. a high lipoprotein A. You know, it's just, if all these components come together, it's that that one detail that could maybe push it over the edge. Yeah, but, but what's never that percentage? Yeah, what's that percentage chance that everything just it's you know you know the the perfect storm as you as you just I mean it's it's mind boggling. In that moment, you're sitting there in a the hospital in Park City, Utah. You're a thousand miles from home. What's going through your mind? How are you, and this is your youngest child? Yes. Mm -hmm. So how are you kind of keeping everybody together? Um, was your husband trying to get, I mean, I, I'm trying to wrap my mind around how you do that and, and still keep your sanity. Um, and, and again, I would say you probably leaned on the Lord like most people in that situation, but even Christians find themselves going, God, what are you doing here? What were those moments like? What were those days like for those couple of weeks that you were in the hospital, far from home? Take me through through a couple of those days. And I, I don't want you to give everything in the book away because I'm sure you talk about that, but mm -hmm. what were some of those days like, Sarah? Well, initially, we fortunately, we were with family. We were with my sister-in-law, her husband, and their two children staying in a lodge. Um, we were supposed to be with my husband's parents as well. Um, kind of before the story is his mom was dealing with a 10-year battle of brain cancer at the time. And they couldn't go on the ski trip because she had just suffered a stroke because of all of the chemo and treatment that she had been enduring. And so there's this whole kind of backstory of what the family had been going through. And so the kids were able to stay with uh, my sister-in-law and her family. Mark went and I went into team mode to address what was taking place. But as far as what did I think, I was just grappling with the notion on the way to the hospital. I had called my pediatrician and when I gave her the symptoms, it was crazy because as we were going through the hot, thinking about what, what, what do we do? She's got these weird symptoms. And I knew, I knew something was off. And my husband said, okay, the logical thing to do. And it was, was to take her to the clinic. They're on the side of the mountain. And logically yeah. you would think, okay, I'm going to take them to the clinic. If anything else, 
is wrong, they will refer us to a hospital. Well, yeah. I mean, you want to get to the quickest care you can. Right. To, and so we're having this. this dialogue and I call our pediatrician from home. And as we're having this dialogue, this happened within five minutes or less of getting back to the ski lodge when I was like, she needs to see a doctor. Something is off. And my mom gut and ra mom radar is like going, the sirens are going off. And, and so we're, we're processing through this and she calls me back and she said, do not take her to a clinic. They're on the side of the mountain. She said, you take her straight to the hospital, the children's hospital. She told me which one in Salt Lake city. She said, it's a fabulous hospital. You take her there and you take her now. Wow. So we are literally wow. just going through the motions that I'm thinking in my head, what we've been dealing with, with my precious mother-in-law and knowing that the signs, what I'm seeing are very potentially are very Sarah, scary. what you just described almost sounds like a divine phone call. It was. It, it almost, because again, was that a, was that someone at your pediatrician that you talk to regularly when you were there? Yes. She was my pediatrician's nurse and pediatrician here in Waco, Texas. Who had So she was there family. that day. Um, they, they pat, you know, they put her through obviously as and I can just imagine, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I can assume as best as you could, you were trying to remain calm so you could get the information out. But she probably may have heard something in your voice, sent something was terribly wrong and have the presence of mind to go, here's the hospital you want to go to. It's fabulous. She's a thousand miles away. How in the world does she know about this, this hospital in Salt so, Lake city? That is that's a that great is so question. Good. It's a great question. I, I really hadn't, I mean, I thought about that before, but it, it's really coming together now for the first time. And it's been almost eight years when you're asking me this question and seeing it with fresh eyes or hearing about it with fresh ears. Um, yeah, I called her and I said, these are the two symptoms I'm seeing. She's not talking. Her face isn't moving. And oh, by the way, I just saw her leg dip as she's walking as I'm having the conversation with her. And so her response to me was I worked and did residency or worked with someone who was from that hospital. So I know it's a good hospital. So she had been connected with another pediatrician who had worked there. Wow. Wow. And so you guys are there for two weeks. Mm -hmm. Take me through what happens when you come home. You come, you come back to Texas. Well, uh, initially we weren't sure if we were going to have to do a medical flight or regular flight. Fortunately, she was stable enough to put her on a regular flight coming home. We she and I spent one night in Waco and then had to turn around and go back to Dallas to be admitted into an inpatient rehab facility for children up in Dallas. Uh, fortunately, that's my hometown. So my family was there to offer support. And so I stayed with her. Initially, we were supposed to be in the inpatient rehab facility for eight to 12 weeks was kind of the prog prognosis or time um, that that might typically take to go through full rehab, but they can't give you a time frame. And so it was a very quick turnaround. And uh, we were there actually for four weeks. Wow. Four, you were supposed to be there eight weeks, eight to 12 weeks. You were there for, so did you start to see God healing and touching your child as, as you were going through this process? I mean, it's, 
that time was cut in half. And the only thing that I can think of no, as a Christian is God must have done a work in her body. What were those four weeks like where you guys were in that inpatient facility in Dallas? So the very first day we, we drove up, we admitted it was a Friday. The doctors looked her over and I went into, she still wasn't speaking. She couldn't walk. She was not using her right arm. She would respond to me, but she, like I said, wasn't talking. And she was a chatty two-year-old. She was talking in sentences, fortunately, at that time, you know, before, so that I, I recognized. I don't know a two-year-old that isn't chatty. My, <laughs> my son was like that. He's like, you know, just talking yeah, up a story. Especially the younger ones. They have to keep up. They learn a lot oh, yeah. really fast. Oh, yeah. Um, but she still wasn't communicating like you knew she was and things like that. Was there a turning point for you Yeah, when and you so, started to see positive progress? Yeah, well, so because we had been in the hospital, we admitted Friday. My parents met us there. My sister had decorated the room. So it was nice to have that family support. Well, I had been in the hospital with her. I had strep throat, and I knew I had strep throat. I got really sick. And so that next morning was a Saturday. It was her first therapy session for walking. And I told my parents and had been advised, I need to go to a clinic because they couldn't treat me as a patient. I wasn't a, a patient. I had to go 15 minutes away to be treated for strep throat. I got really sick. And I told my parents, I need you to take, be here and take her to her first therapy session. So I leave. When I left, my dad was carrying her down the hallway. Now, like I said, my goal based upon what the doctors said was to leave in eight to 12 weeks and that she would be stable on a walker. Now, remember, this is really important. When I was in ICU with her, they told me recovering 100% was not possible. And so when I was in the ICU, they said for this type of child, if she were to recover, she could only recover up to 80% of what she lost. So I didn't know, I just envisioned her walking in a walker um, and was hopeful that we could get her steady on that. So fast forward two weeks, that's my hope. Okay, by the time we leave here, I need her stable on a walker so that we can have a normal, a little more normal life. I, I'm really hopeful. Kind of prep and prepare for what the new normal is going to yeah. be Yeah, like. I mean, I was thinking I need to go purchase a handicapped minivan instead of my SUV because we're going to have to accommodate our life for this. But when I was in the ICU and the doctors told me that, I said, I was standing by myself. Mark hadn't gotten there that day because he had gone back to the lodge to take care of the kids. And... The doctors left the room as they are told, told me that. I'm, I'm standing over my daughter with IVs and monitors as she's sleeping. And I just said, Lord, this is too much. I said, I know, Lord, that if you want her to recover 100%, that you have the power to do that. I said, so Lord, I pray your will be done. And Lord, I pray that she'll walk. Lord, I pray she'll talk. And Lord, I pray she will run. And so I literally, like a baton in a relay, had to hand it off to the Lord and hand it off to my prayer warriors at home and in our community to pray on our behalf. And then I had to do what I had to do to process all of the information because I had to take care of her. And I had to assess what my situation was 
at that point in time. I had to hand it off to the Lord. So fast forward, as we're seeing her progress, she's stable. All those things took place. I hand her off to my parents. My parents are carrying her down the hallway to her first therapy session. And I go, I, it took me two hours. I came back and I'm walking through the doors into the therapy room. Now this therapy room is a padded miniature gymnasium with contraptions and toys made for kids. Coolest thing ever. And my daughter is walking. And I looked at my parents and I said, what is going on? And they said, we have it on video. She started running and we have it on video as proof to this day. And I said, what do you mean she's running? They're like, well, she's still a little wobbly, wobbly, but in the first therapy session, she got up and started running. I said, how is that possible? This isn't what the doctors for like, I couldn't, I was stunned, but there she was standing before me and hadn't walked. And you know, for weeks in the hospital. And I, I just looked at her and they said there was a skeleton crew there that day. The therapist who came in and worked with her didn't normally come in and there to work, but he was apparently over the Baylor network. He was over the therapist it, uh, for the multi-locations and he happened to be filling in that day. He had already left, but what he said to them was, hey, watch this. I'm going to show you mind over matter. And I was like, what do you mean mind over matter? Like, uh, how does that work? And he left that day and my daughter had gotten up and she was running. Now, I never knew his name. I never met him and nobody there could tell me who he was. I never was able to thank him personally because when I asked the staff, can you give me the name of the gentleman that came and was in therapy that day? They're like, we don't know. We're not sure who it was. I don't think wow. his name is written down. And I'm just, I was just stunned. And I, I tell that story because I'm very careful with it because I know what happened and I saw what happened and I had witnesses Sure. And so sure, leave that up to your own interpretation, because what I gathered based upon the progress and the doctors and the reactions is they didn't really know how to process it themselves. All they knew is that she was doing really well in her process. Well, most people really, really don't. When, when a miracle is in front of them and, you know, we, we, I, we, we have had a gentleman, I had a gentleman on this podcast several months back who survived the miracle on the Hudson plane crash. Oh, yeah. And again, you know, Sarah, when, when you see the miraculous and I've shared my testimony about being a baby and the Lord healing my, uh, my left lung, you know, it, it's the miraculous. And I understand what you're saying, but I know. So if you would quickly, would you, kind of finish the story um would that obviously that had to be a turning point you know where where that time was shortened how's your daughter today she's great if you look at her you'd never know what she had been through and she's recovered 99.999 percent of what wow. she wow now she had years of therapy and there are things we deal with but she is a thriving 10-year-old in fourth grade, intelligent, fun-loving, joyful kid. 
and she really has a compassionate heart for the Lord. And it's Does she remember much about her time in that, in that time? No, she doesn't remember the acute situation as the doctors call it, but she does remember life in therapy because, you know, those were her preschool years, you know, wow. she went to therapy. That was just a part of our everyday um, life after that for years. And it's, it was just a matter of fact thing that was a, we created it to be a positive part of our life. And she ended up coining um, her right hand and right foot and called them righty. So, you know, we worked with righty every day and if righty wasn't listening, would work hard to get righty to listen. And, and she just went on with life because that's what we had to do. And, and don't get me wrong there. It, it's tough, but we're, there was so much joy and there was so much uh, thankfulness um, that those hard, rough, busy days where you're grinding in the aftermath are just overcome by the joy that your child is doing so well. And I can understand why you'd want to tell that story and get that out. And, and again, thank you for telling that on this podcast. I know you have a piece of intentional encouragement for somebody walking through a situation. Maybe it's a mom of a child or teenager or young adult. Maybe it's a spouse walking with through that situation with their spouse or something like that. What's your biggest piece of intentional encouragement for somebody that's walking through that journey, that season of life right now? So the biggest piece of intentional encouragement, uh, well, first of all, that God is always with us. And when we deal with crisis, um, he wants to reveal himself to us and be our peace. But the the pivotal point of this devotional comes from second Corinthians one, three through four, where it says, God is a God of comfort who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. And actually there's part of this testimony where I have a featured guest of a friend of mine. Her name is Shelly Reeves. And for the sake of time, I'll just have to tell everyone, they'll have to read it because it's incredible. But she was going through the loss of her infant daughter at the time. Oh, wow. And it tells the story about how our situation encouraged her. And I did not even know it was taking place. And then when I got home and realized that she was about to lose her daughter, she walked up to me and she said, when I read what you wrote, on your update, she said it changed my perspective. And so she writes about how God revealed himself to her and used our situation where our daughter lived to comfort her, even though she was going to lose a child and then did end up losing a child the day her daughter Caroline was born and passed. And the scripture that centered around that testimony coming together yeah. was, uh, you know, Psalm 18 and This is the day the Lord has made and I will yeah. rejoice and be glad in it because no matter what happens on that day, God is good and he doesn't change. And the word is always timely. The word of God is always timely. It's never out of season. Tell folks how they can connect with you, um, where they can find the book, how they can get the book. I, Tell, tell folks, I know you're going to want to connect with Sarah. How do you, how can they do that? Connect with you. I would love to connect with them on my blog. It's Sarah Nelson blog. 
Com, and they can click on my social media links. I'd love to connect with people that way and then get their email so they can subscribe. And, and it really helps me to keep in contact with other people. They can go on Amazon and buy the book, which is a perfect storm devotions during a crisis. And I'd love to hear from them. And I'd love to hear how um, this devotional just impacts them, but also it can be such a gift to give to people that we know are yeah. dealing with the crisis. And it really helps people to take that inward perspective when they're dealing with the crisis, because we do need to process the things between us and God, but hopefully they can take, you know, second Corinthians one, three through four into context and learn how then to look outwardly to show how God can minister through us and how we can learn to minister through others based upon what we've been through. No, that's so spot on and it's so good. Sarah Nelson, again, go go get the book, A Perfect Storm, Devotions During a Crisis. It, you, you're going to want to get it. And so your story has been so incredible, Sarah. I can't thank you enough for joining us on the Intentional Encourager podcast. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Means. And of course, the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ, who provides intentional encouragement every day through his word. If you're not subscribed to the Intentional Encourager podcast, hit the subscribe button wherever you get podcasts so you don't miss an exciting episode where you can get encouraged and stay encouraged. And remember, anyone, anywhere, at any time, any place can be an intentional encourager.